spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio! Welcome. It's the final week, I believe, of Bronte, Bronte, Bronte. Sorry, Anne, we never got to you. Maybe next time. We're going to be finishing off with Withering Heights. And we will also have some Ken Height talking about Withering Heights. Funny how that happened. And also, thank you for listening. And next month, I think is Ghost Stories, because it's October. And if you want to help the show, want to know what's going on, you want to be a part of it, you've got some stuff that you want to do, read, whatever... Go to pgttcm.com, subscribe where you subscribe to podcasts, tell your friends to subscribe, rate, review, talk about it, contact us, find out how to get some cool stickers, and we'll set you up. So pgttcm.com, on Facebook as pgttcm, and Black Clock Audio Tales. Also on Instagram as Black Clock Audio Tales and Twitter, which we don't use that much as Black Clock Audio Tales, PGTTCM. Thank you again, and yeah, you can also check us out on YouTube and listen to Monster Kid Radio and look for me next week at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon at the Hollywood Theater, even though I'll probably be over at the Hollywood Senior Center doing role playing game stuff and being on panels. Public Domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Chapter 23. The rainy night had ushered in a misty morning, half frost, half drizzle, and temporary brooks crossed our path, gurgling from the uplands. My feet were thoroughly wetted. I was cross and low, exactly the humour suited for making the most of these disagreeable things. We entered the farmhouse by the kitchen way to ascertain whether Mr. Heathcliff were really absent, because I put slight faith in his own affirmation. Joseph seemed sitting in a sort of Elysium alone beside a roaring fire, a quart of ale on the table near him, bristling with large pieces of toasted oatcake, and his black short pipe in his mouth. Catherine ran to the hearth to warm herself. I asked if the master was in. My question remained so long unanswered that I thought the old man had grown deaf 
and repeated it louder. Nay, he snarled, or rather screamed through his nose. Nay, you mo go back where you come from. Joseph cried a peevish voice simultaneously with me from the inner room. How often am I to call you? There are only a few red ashes now. Joseph, come this moment. Vigorous puffs and a resolute stare into the grate declared he had no ear for this appeal. The housekeeper and Hareton were invisible, one gone on an errand and the other at his work, probably. We knew Linton's tones and entered. "'Oh, I hope you'll die in a garret starved to death,' said the boy, mistaking our approach for that of his negligent attendant. He stopped on observing his error. His cousin flew to him. "'Is that you, Miss Linton?' he said, raising his head from the arm of the great chair in which he reclined. "'No, don't kiss me. It takes my breath. Dear me!' "'Papa said you would call,' continued he, after recovering a little from Catherine's embrace, while she stood by looking very contrite. "'Will you shut the door, if you please? You left it open, and those, those detestable creatures won't bring coals to the fire. It's so cold.' I stirred up the cinders and fetched a scuttleful myself. The invalid complained of being covered with ashes, but he had a tiresome cough and looked feverish and ill, so I did not rebuke his temper. "'Well, Linton,' murmured Catherine, when his corrugated brow relaxed, "'are you glad to see me? Can I do you any good?' "'Why didn't you come before?' he asked. "'You should have come instead of writing.' It tired me dreadfully writing those long letters. I'd far rather have talked to you. Now I can neither bear to talk nor anything else. I wonder where Zilla is. Will you, looking at me, step into the kitchen and see? I had received no thanks for my other service, and being unwilling to run to and fro at his behest, I replied, "'Nobody is out there but Joseph.' "'I want to drink,' he exclaimed, fretfully turning away. "'Zilla is constantly gadding off to Gimmerton since Papa went. "'It's miserable. "'And I'm obliged to come down here. "'They resolve never to hear me upstairs.' "'Is your father attentive to you, Master Heathcliff?' I asked. "'perceiving Catherine to be checked in her friendly advances. "'Attentive! "'He makes them a little more attentive, at least,' he cried. "'The wretches! "'Do you know, Miss Linton, that brute Hareton laughs at me? "'I hate him. "'Indeed, I hate them all. "'They are odious beings.' "'Cathy began searching for some water. "'She lighted on a pitcher in the dresser, "'filled a tumbler and brought it. "'He bid her add a spoonful of wine from a bottle on the table, "'and having swallowed a small portion, appeared more tranquil, "'and said she was very kind. "'And are you glad to see me?' asked she, 
reiterating her former question and pleased to detect the faint dawn of a smile. Yes, I am. It's something new to hear a voice like yours, he replied. But I have been vexed because you wouldn't come, and Papa swore it was owing to me. He called me a pitiful, shuffling, worthless thing, and said you despised me. And if he had been in my place, he would be more the master of the Grange than your father by this time. But you don't despise me, do you, Miss? I wish you would say Catherine or Cathy, interrupted my young lady. Despise you? No. Next to Papa and Ellen, I love you better than anybody living. I don't love Mr. Heathcliff, though, and I dare not come when he returns. Will he stay away many days? Not many, answered Linton. But he goes on to the moors frequently since the shooting season commenced. And you might spend an hour or two with me in his absence. Do say you will. I think I should not be peevish with you. You'd not provoke me, and you'd always be ready to help me, wouldn't you? Yes, said Catherine, stroking his long, soft hair. If I could only get Papa's consent, I'd spend half my time with you. Pretty Linton, I wish you were my brother. And then you would like me as well as your father, observed he more cheerfully. But Papa says you would love me better than him and all the world if you were my wife. So I'd rather you were that. No, I should never love anybody better than Papa, she returned gravely. And people hate their wives sometimes, but not their sisters and brothers. And if you were the latter, you would live with us, and Papa would be as fond of you as he is of me. Linton denied that people ever hated their wives, but Cathy affirmed they did, and in her wisdom instanced his own father's aversion to her aunt. I endeavoured to stop her thoughtless tongue. I couldn't succeed till everything she knew was out. Master Heathcliff, much irritated, asserted her relation was false. Papa told me, and Papa does not tell falsehoods, she answered pertly. My Papa scorns yours, cried Linton. He calls him a sneaking fool. Yours is a wicked man, retorted Catherine. And you are very naughty to dare to repeat what he says. He must be wicked to have made Aunt Isabella leave him as she did. She didn't leave him, said the boy. You shan't contradict me. She did, cried my young lady. Well, I'll tell you something, said Linton. Your mother hated your father. Now then. Oh! exclaimed Catherine, too enraged to continue. And she loved mine, added he. You little liar! I hate you now! She panted, and her face grew red with passion. She did, she did, sang Linton, sinking into the recess of his chair 
and leaning back his head to enjoy the agitation of the other disputant who stood behind. "'Hush, Master Heathcliff,' I said. "'That's your father's tale, too, I suppose.' "'It isn't. You hold your tongue,' he answered. "'She did. She did, Catherine. She did. She did.' Cathy, beside herself, gave the chair a violent push and caused him to fall against one arm. He was immediately seized by a suffocating cough that soon ended his triumph. It lasted so long that it frightened even me. As to his cousin, she wept with all her might, aghast at the mischief she had done, though she said nothing. I held him till the fit exhausted itself. Then he thrust me away and leant his head down silently. Catherine quelled her lamentations also, took a seat opposite and looked solemnly into the fire. "'How do you feel now, Master Heathcliff?' I inquired after waiting ten minutes. "'I wish she felt as I do,' he replied. "'Spiteful, cruel thing. Hareton never touches me. He never struck me in his life. And I was better today. And there—' His voice died in a whimper. "'I didn't strike you,' muttered Cathy, chewing her lip to prevent another burst of emotion. He sighed and moaned like one under great suffering, and kept it up for a quarter of an hour, on purpose to distress his cousin, apparently, for whenever he caught a stifled sob from her, he put renewed pain and pathos into the inflections of his voice. "'I'm sorry I hurt you, Linton,' she said at length, racked beyond endurance. "'But I couldn't have been hurt by that little push.' "'and I had no idea that you could either. "'You're not much, are you, Linton? "'Don't let me go home thinking I've done you harm. "'Answer. Speak to me.' "'I can't speak to you,' he murmured. "'You've hurt me so that I shall lie awake all night, "'choking with this cough. "'If you had it, you'd know what it was.' "'but you'll be comfortably asleep while I'm in agony and nobody near me. "'I wonder how you would like to pass those fearful nights.' "'And he began to wail aloud for very pity of himself. "'Since you are in the habit of passing dreadful nights,' I said, "'it won't be Miss who spoils your ease. "'You'd be the same had she never come. "'However, she shall not disturb you again.' "'and perhaps you'll get quieter when we leave you.' "'Must I go?' asked Catherine dolefully, bending over him. "'Do you want me to go, Linton?' "'You can't alter what you've done,' he replied pettishly, shrinking from her. "'Unless you alter it for the worse by teasing me into a fever.' "'Well, then, I must go,' she repeated." "'Let me alone, at least,' said he. "'I can't bear your talking.' She lingered and resisted my persuasions to departure a tiresome while, but as he neither looked up nor spoke, she finally made a movement to the door, and I followed. We were recalled by a scream. 
Linton had slid from his seat onto the hearthstone, and lay writhing in the mere perverseness of an indulged plague of a child, determined to be as grievous and harassing as it can. I thoroughly gauged his disposition from his behaviour, and saw at once it would be folly to attempt humouring him. Not so my companion, she ran back in terror, knelt down and cried, and soothed and entreated, till he grew quiet from lack of breath, by no means from compunction at distressing her. "'I shall lift him on to the settle,' I said, "'and he may roll about as he pleases. "'We can't stop to watch him. "'I hope you are satisfied, Miss Cathy, "'that you are not the person to benefit him, "'and that his condition of health is not occasioned by attachment to you. "'Now then, there he is. "'Come away. "'As soon as he knows there is nobody by to care for his nonsense, "'he'll be glad to lie still.' She placed a cushion under his head and offered him some water. He rejected the latter and tossed uneasily on the former, as if it were a stone or a block of wood. She tried to put it more comfortably. "'I can't do with that,' he said. "'It's not high enough.' Catherine brought another to lay above it. "'That's too high,' murmured the provoking thing. "'How must I arrange it, then?' she asked despairingly. He twined himself up to her as she half knelt by the settle, and converted her shoulder into a support. "'No, that won't do,' I said. "'You'll be content with the cushion, Master Heathcliff. Miss has wasted too much time on you already. We cannot remain five minutes longer.' "'Yes, yes, we can!' "'replied Cathy. "'He's good and patient now. "'He's beginning to think I shall have far greater misery than he will to-night "'if I believe he is the worse for my visit. "'And then I dare not come again. "'Tell the truth about it, Linton, "'for I mustn't come if I have hurt you.' "'You must come to cure me,' he answered. "'You ought to come because you have hurt me.' "'You know you have extremely. "'I was not as ill when you entered as I am at present, was I?' "'But you've made yourself ill by crying and being in a passion. "'I didn't do it all,' said his cousin. "'However, we'll be friends now. "'And you want me? "'You would wish to see me sometimes, really?' "'I told you I did,' he replied impatiently. "'Sit on the settle and let me lean on your knee. "'That's as Mamma used to do whole afternoons together. "'Sit quite still and don't talk. "'But you may sing a song if you can sing, "'or you may say a nice long interesting ballad, "'one of those you promised to teach me, or a story. "'I'd rather have a ballad, though. "'Begin.' Catherine repeated the longest she could remember. The employment pleased both mightily. Linton would have another, and after that another, notwithstanding my strenuous objections. And so they went on until the clock struck twelve, and we heard Hareton in the court returning for his dinner. 
And tomorrow, Catherine, will you be here tomorrow? Asked young Heathcliff, holding her frock as she rose reluctantly. No, I answered, nor next day neither. She, however, gave a different response, evidently, for his forehead cleared as she stooped and whispered in his ear. "'You won't go tomorrow, recollect, miss,' I commenced, when we were out of the house. "'You are not dreaming of it, are you?' She smiled. "'Oh, I'll take good care,' I continued. "'I'll have that lock mended.' "'and you can escape by no way else.' "'I can get over the wall,' she said, laughing. "'The Grange is not a prison, Ellen, and you are not my jailer. "'And besides, I'm almost seventeen. I'm a woman. "'And I'm certain Linton would recover quickly if he had me to look after him. "'I'm older than he is, you know, and wiser. "'Less childish, am I not?' "'and he'll soon do as I direct him, with some slight coaxing. "'He's a pretty little darling when he's good. "'I'd make such a pet of him if he were mine. "'We should never quarrel, should we, after we were used to each other? "'Don't you like him, Ellen?' "'Like him?' I exclaimed. "'The worst-tempered bit of a sickly slip that ever struggled into its teens.' "'Happily, as Mr. Heathcliff conjectured, he'll not win twenty. "'I doubt whether he'll see spring, indeed, "'and small loss to his family whenever he drops off. "'And lucky it is for us that his father took him. "'The kinder he was treated, the more tedious and selfish he'd be. "'I'm glad you have no chance of having him for a husband, Miss Catherine.' "'My companion waxed serious at hearing this speech.' To speak of his death so regardlessly wounded her feelings. "'He's younger than I,' she answered, after a protracted pause of meditation. "'And he ought to live the longest. He will. He must live as long as I do. He's as strong now as when he first came into the North. I'm positive of that. It's only a cold that ails him, the same as Papa has.' "'You say Papa will get better, and why shouldn't he?' "'Well, well,' I cried. "'After all, we needn't trouble ourselves. "'For listen, miss, and mind I'll keep my word. "'If you attempt going to Wuthering Heights again, with or without me, "'I shall inform Mr. Linton, "'and unless he allow it, the intimacy with your cousin must not be revived.' "'It has been revived,' muttered Cathy sulkily. "'Must not be continued, then,' I said. "'We'll see,' was her reply, and she set off at a gallop, leaving me to toil in the rear. We both reached home before our dinner-time. My master supposed we had been wandering through the park, and therefore he demanded no explanation of our absence.' As soon as I entered, I hastened to change my soaked shoes and stockings, but sitting such a while at the heights had done the mischief. On the succeeding morning I was laid up, and during three weeks I remained incapacitated for attending to my duties, a calamity never experienced prior to that period, 
and never, I am thankful to say, since. My little mistress behaved like an angel in coming to wait on me and cheer my solitude. The confinement brought me exceedingly low. It is wearisome to a stirring active body, but few have slighter reasons for complaint than I had. The moment Catherine left Mr. Linton's room, she appeared at my bedside. Her day was divided between us, no amusement usurped a minute. She neglected her meals, her studies, and her play, and she was the fondest nurse that ever watched. She must have had a warm heart, when she loved her father so, to give so much to me. I said her days were divided between us, but the master retired early, and I generally needed nothing after six o'clock. Thus the evening was her own. Poor thing! I never considered what she did with herself after tea. And though frequently when she looked in to bid me good night, I remarked a fresh colour in her cheeks and a pinkness over her slender fingers, instead of fancying the line borrowed from a cold ride across the moors, I laid it to the charge of a hot fire in the library. End of chapter 23 Recording by Ruth Golding Domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Chapter 24. At the close of three weeks, I was able to quit my chamber and move about the house, and on the first occasion of my sitting up in the evening, I asked Catherine to read to me, because my eyes were weak. We were in the library, the master having gone to bed. She consented, rather unwillingly, I fancied, and imagining my sort of books did not suit her, I bid her please herself in the choice of what she perused. She selected one of her own favourites and got forward steadily about an hour. Then came frequent questions. Ellen, are not you tired? Hadn't you better lie down now? You'll be sick keeping up so long, Ellen. No, no, dear, I'm not tired, I returned continually. Perceiving me immovable, she essayed another method of showing her disrelish for her occupation. It changed to yawning and stretching and, Ellen, I am tired. Give over then and talk, I answered. That was worse. She fretted and sighed, and looked at her watch till eight, and finally went to her room completely overdone with sleep, judging by her peevish heavy look and the constant rubbing she inflicted on her eyes. The following night she seemed more impatient still, and on the third from recovering my company she complained of a headache and left me. I thought her conduct odd, and having remained alone a long while, I resolved on going and inquiring whether she were better, and asking her to come and lie on the sofa instead of upstairs in the dark. No Catherine could I discover upstairs, 
and none below. The servants affirmed they had not seen her. I listened at Mr. Edgar's door. All was silence. I returned to her apartment, extinguished my candle, and seated myself in the window. The moon shone bright. A sprinkling of snow covered the ground, and I reflected that she might possibly have taken it into her head to walk about the garden for refreshment. I did detect a figure creeping along the inner fence of the park, but it was not my young mistress. On its emerging into the light, I recognised one of the grooms. He stood a considerable period, viewing the carriage road through the grounds, then started off at a brisk pace as if he had detected something, and reappeared presently leading Mrs. Pony. And there she was, just dismounted and walking by its side. The man took his charge stealthily across the grass towards the stable. Cathy entered by the casement window of the drawing-room, and glided noiselessly up to where I awaited her. She put the door gently to, slipped off her snowy shoes, untied her hat, and was proceeding, unconscious of my espionage, to lay aside her mantle, when I suddenly rose and revealed myself. The surprise petrified her an instant. She uttered an inarticulate exclamation, and stood fixed. "'My dear Miss Catherine,' I began, too vividly impressed by her recent kindness to break into a scold. "'Where have you been riding out at this hour? And why should you try to deceive me by telling a tale? Where have you been? Speak!' "'To, to the bottom of the park,' she stammered. "'I didn't tell a tale.' "'And nowhere else?' I demanded. "'No,' was the muttered reply. "'Oh, Catherine!' I cried sorrowfully. "'You know you have been doing wrong, "'or you wouldn't be driven to uttering an untruth to me. "'That does grieve me. "'I'd rather be three months ill "'than hear you frame a deliberate lie.' She sprang forward and, bursting into tears, threw her arms round my neck. "'Well, Ellen, I'm so afraid of you being angry,' she said. "'Promise not to be angry, and you shall know the very truth. I hate to hide it.' We sat down in the window seat. I assured her I would not scold whatever her secret might be, and I guessed it, of course. So she commenced— I've been to Wuthering Heights, Ellen, and I've never missed going a day since you fell ill, except thrice before and twice after you left your room. I gave Michael books and pictures to prepare Minnie every evening, and to put her back in the stable. You mustn't scold him either, mind. I was at the Heights by half-past six, and generally stayed till half-past eight, and then galloped home.' "'It was not to amuse myself that I went. "'I was often wretched all the time. "'Now and then I was happy, once in a week, perhaps. 
At first I expected there would be sad work persuading you to let me keep my word to Linton, for I had engaged to call again next day when we quitted him, but as you stayed upstairs on the morrow I escaped that trouble. While Michael was refastening the lock of the park door in the afternoon, I got possession of the key, and told him how my cousin wished me to visit him, because he was sick and couldn't come to the Grange, and how papa would object to my going. And then I negotiated with him about the pony. He is fond of reading, and he thinks of leaving soon to get married, so he offered, if I would lend him books out of the library, to do what I wished. But I preferred giving him my own, and that satisfied him better. On my second visit Linton seemed in lively spirits, and Zilla, that is their housekeeper, made us a clean room and a good fire, and told us that, as Joseph was out at a prayer meeting, and Hareton Earnshaw was off with his dogs, robbing our woods of pheasants, as I heard afterwards, we might do what we liked. She brought me some warm wine and gingerbread, and appeared exceedingly good-natured, and Linton sat in the armchair, and I in the little rocking-chair on the hearthstone, and we laughed and talked so merrily, and found so much to say. We planned where we would go, and what we would do in summer. I needn't repeat that, because you would call it silly. One time, however, we were near quarrelling, He said the pleasantest manner of spending a hot July day was lying from morning till evening on a bank of heath in the middle of the moors, with the bees humming dreamily about among the bloom, and the lark singing high up overhead, and the blue sky and bright sun shining steadily and cloudlessly. That was his most perfect idea of heaven's happiness. Mine was rocking in a rustling green tree, with a west wind blowing, and bright white clouds flitting rapidly above, and not only larks, but throstles and blackbirds and linnets and cuckoos pouring out music on every side, and the moors seen at a distance, broken into cool, dusky dells, but close by great swells of long grass undulating in waves to the breeze, and woods and sounding water, and the whole world awake and wild with joy. He wanted all to lie in an ecstasy of peace. I wanted all to sparkle and dance in a glorious jubilee. I said his heaven would be only half alive, and he said mine would be drunk. I said I should fall asleep in his, and he said he could not breathe in mine, and began to grow very snappish. At last we agreed to try both, as soon as the right weather came, and then we kissed each other and were friends. After sitting still an hour, I looked at the great room with its smooth, uncarpeted floor, and thought how nice it would be to play in if we removed the table, and I asked Linton to call Zilla in to help us, and we'd have a game at Blind Man's Buff. She should try to catch us. You used to, you know, Ellen. He wouldn't. There was no pleasure in it, he said. "'but he consented to play at ball with me. "'We found two in a cupboard, among a heap of old toys, "'tops and hoops and battledoors and shuttlecocks. 
One was marked C and the other H. I wished to have the C because that stood for Catherine, and the H might be for Heathcliff, his name. But the bran came out of H, and Linton didn't like it. I beat him constantly, and he got cross again and coughed and returned to his chair. That night, though, he easily recovered his good humour. He was charmed with two or three pretty songs, your songs, Ellen. And when I was obliged to go, he begged and entreated me to come the following evening, and I promised. Minnie and I went flying home as light as air, and I dreamt of Wuthering Heights and my sweet darling cousin till morning. On the morrow I was sad, partly because you were poorly, and partly that I wished my father knew and approved of my excursions. But it was beautiful moonlight after tea, and as I rode on the gloom cleared. I shall have another happy evening, I thought to myself, and what delights me more, my pretty Linton will. I trotted up their garden and was turning round to the back, when that fellow Earnshaw met me, took my bridle and bid me go in by the front entrance. He patted Minnie's neck and said she was a bonny beast and appeared as if he wanted me to speak to him. I only told him to leave my horse alone or else it would kick him. He answered in his vulgar accent, It wouldn't do, Mitchell, if it did, and surveyed its legs with a smile. I was half inclined to make it try. However, he moved off to open the door, and as he raised the latch, he looked up to the inscription above and said, with a stupid mixture of awkwardness and elation, Miss Catherine, I can read yon now. Wonderful! I exclaimed. Pray let us hear you. You are grown clever. He spelt and drawled over by syllables the name Hareton Earnshaw. And the figures? I cried encouragingly, perceiving that he came to a dead halt. I cannot tell them yet. He answered. Oh, you dunce! I said, laughing heartily at his failure. The fool stared with a grin hovering about his lips and a scowl gathering over his eyes, as if uncertain whether he might not join in my mirth, whether it were not pleasant familiarity or what it really was, contempt. I settled his doubts by suddenly retrieving my gravity and desiring him to walk away. For I came to see Linton, not him. He reddened. I saw that by the moonlight, dropped his hand from the latch, and skulked off. A picture of mortified vanity. He imagined himself to be as accomplished as Linton, I suppose, because he could spell his own name, and was marvellously discomfited that I didn't think the same. Stop, Miss Catherine, dear. I interrupted. I shall not scold, but I don't like your conduct there. If you had remembered that Hareton was your cousin as much as Master Heathcliff, you would have felt how improper it was to behave in that way. At least it was praiseworthy ambition for him to desire to be as accomplished as Linton, and probably he did not learn merely to show off. You had made him ashamed of his ignorance before, I have no doubt, 
and he wished to remedy it and please you. To sneer at his imperfect attempt was very bad breeding. Had you been brought up in his circumstances, would you be less rude? He was as quick and as intelligent a child as ever you were, and I am hurt that he should be despised now, because that base Heathcliff has treated him so unjustly. "'Well, Ellen, you won't cry about it, will you?' she exclaimed, surprised at my earnestness. "'But wait, and you shall hear if he conned his ABC to please me, and if it were worth while being civil to the brute.' I entered. Linton was lying on the settle, and half got up to welcome me. "'I'm ill tonight, Catherine, love,' he said and you must have all the talk and let me listen. Come and sit by me. I was sure you wouldn't break your word, and I'll make you promise again before you go. I knew now that I mustn't tease him as he was ill, and I spoke softly and put no questions, and avoided irritating him in any way. I had brought some of my nicest books for him, he asked me to read a little of one, and I was about to comply when Earnshaw burst the door open, having gathered venom with reflection. He advanced direct to us, seized Linton by the arm, and swung him off the seat. "'Get to thy own room,' he said, in a voice almost inarticulate with passion, and his face looked swelled and furious. "'Take her there if she comes to see thee. "'Thou shalt keep me out of this. "'Be gone with you both.' "'He swore at us, and left Linton no time to answer, "'nearly throwing him into the kitchen, "'and he clenched his fist as I followed, "'seemingly longing to knock me down. "'I was afraid for a moment, and I let one volume fall. "'He kicked it after me and shut us out.' I heard a malignant, crackly laugh by the fire, and, turning, beheld that odious Joseph standing, rubbing his bony hands and quivering. "'I was sure he'd sarve you out. He's a grand lad. He's getting great spirit in him. He knows, ah, he knows as well as I do. Who should beat Maester yonder? Eh, eh, eh. He made ye skiff properly.' <laughs> "'Where must we go?' I asked of my cousin, disregarding the old wretch's mockery. Linton was white and trembling. He was not pretty then, Ellen. Oh, no, he looked frightful, for his thin face and large eyes were wrought into an expression of frantic, powerless fury.' He grasped the handle of the door and shook it. It was fastened inside. "'If you don't let me in, I'll kill you. If you don't let me in, I'll kill you.' He rather shrieked than said, "'Devil, devil, I'll kill you, I'll kill you!' Joseph uttered his croaking laugh again. "'There, that's father,' he cried. "'That's father. We've all a summer on either side in us.' Need it, lad, do not be feared, he cannot get at thee. I took hold of Linton's hands and tried to pull him away, but he shrieked so shockingly that I dared not proceed. 
At last his cries were choked by a dreadful fit of coughing. Blood gushed from his mouth and he fell on the ground. I ran into the yard sick with terror and called for Zilla as loud as I could. She soon heard me. She was milking the cows in a shed behind the barn, and hurrying from her work, she inquired what there was to do. I hadn't breath to explain. Dragging her in, I looked about for Linton. Earnshaw had come out to examine the mischief he had caused, and he was then conveying the poor thing upstairs. Zilla and I ascended after him, but he stopped me at the top of the steps and said I shouldn't go in. I must go home. I exclaimed that he had killed Linton, and I would enter. Joseph locked the door and declared I should do no such stuff, and asked me whether I were bound to be as mad as him. I stood crying till the housekeeper reappeared. She affirmed he would be better in a bit, but he couldn't do with that shrieking and din, and she took me and nearly carried me into the house. Ellen, I was ready to tear my hair off my head. I sobbed and wept so that my eyes were almost blind, and the ruffian you have such sympathy with stood opposite, presuming every now and then to bid me wished, and denying that it was his fault. And finally, frightened by my assertions that I would tell Papa, and that he would be put in prison and hanged, he commenced blubbering himself and. "'hurried out to hide his cowardly agitation. "'Still I was not rid of him. "'When at length they compelled me to depart, "'and I had got some hundred yards off the premises, "'he suddenly issued from the shadow of the roadside "'and checked Minnie and took hold of me. "'Miss Catherine, I'm ill-grieved,' he began. "'But it's rather too bad.' "'I gave him a cut with my whip, "'thinking perhaps he would murder me.' He let go, thundering one of his horrid curses, and I galloped home more than half out of my senses. I didn't bid you good night that evening, and I didn't go to Wuthering Heights the next. I wished to go exceedingly, but I was strangely excited and dreaded to hear that Linton was dead sometimes, and sometimes shuddered at the thought of encountering Hareton. On the third day I took courage. At least I couldn't bear longer suspense, and stole off once more. I went at five o'clock and walked, fancying I might manage to creep into the house and up to Linton's room, unobserved. However, the dogs gave notice of my approach. Zilla received me, and, saying the lad was mending nicely, showed me into a small, tidy, carpeted apartment, where, to my inexpressible joy, I beheld Linton laid on a little sofa, reading one of my books. But he would neither speak to me nor look at me through a whole hour, Ellen. He has such an unhappy temper. And what quite confounded me, when he did open his mouth, it was to utter the falsehood that I had occasioned the uproar, and Hareton was not to blame. Unable to reply, except passionately, I got up and walked from the room. He sent after me a faint Catherine. He did not reckon on being answered so. But I wouldn't turn back. 
and the morrow was the second day on which I stayed at home, nearly determined to visit him no more. But it was so miserable going to bed and getting up and never hearing anything about him that my resolution melted into air before it was properly formed. It had appeared wrong to take the journey once. Now it seemed wrong to refrain. Michael came to ask if he must saddle Minnie. I said yes, and considered myself doing a duty as she bore me over the hills. I was forced to pass the front windows to get to the court. It was no use trying to conceal my presence. "'Young master is in the house,' said Zilla, as she saw me making for the parlour. I went in. Earnshaw was there also, but he quitted the room directly. Linton sat in the great armchair, half asleep. Walking up to the fire, I began in a serious tone— partly meaning it to be true. "'As you don't like me, Linton, and as you think I come on purpose to hurt you, and pretend that I do so every time, this is our last meeting. Let us say good-bye, and tell Mr. Heathcliff that you have no wish to see me, and that he mustn't invent any more falsehoods on the subject.' "'Sit down and take your hat off, Catherine,' he answered. "'You are so much happier than I am. "'You ought to be better. "'Papa talks enough of my defects "'and shows enough scorn of me "'to make it natural I should doubt myself. "'I doubt whether I am not altogether as worthless "'as he calls me frequently. "'And then I feel so cross and bitter "'I hate everybody. "'I am worthless and bad in temper "'and bad in spirit almost always.' "'And, if you choose, you may say good-bye. "'You'll get rid of an annoyance. "'Only, Catherine, do me this justice. "'Believe that if I might be as sweet and as kind and as good as you are, "'I would be, as willingly and more so than as happy and as healthy. "'And believe that your kindness has made me love you deeper "'than if I deserved your love.' And though I couldn't and cannot help showing my nature to you, I regret it and repent it, and shall regret and repent it till I die. I felt he spoke the truth, and I felt I must forgive him, and though we should quarrel the next moment, I must forgive him again. We were reconciled, but we cried, both of us, the whole time I stayed. "'not entirely for sorrow. "'Yet I was sorry Linton had that distorted nature. "'He'll never let his friends be at ease, "'and he'll never be at ease himself. "'I have always gone to his little parlour since that night, "'because his father returned the day after. "'About three times, I think, "'we have been merry and hopeful, "'as we were the first evening.' The rest of my visits were dreary and troubled, now with his selfishness and spite, and now with his sufferings, but I've learned to endure the former with nearly as little resentment as the latter. Mr. Heathcliff purposely avoids me. I have hardly seen him at all. Last Sunday, indeed, coming earlier than usual, I heard him abusing poor Linton cruelly for his conduct of the night before. 
I can't tell how he knew of it unless he listened. Linton had certainly behaved provokingly. However, it was the business of nobody but me, and I interrupted Mr. Heathcliff's lecture by entering and telling him so. He burst into a laugh and went away, saying he was glad I took that view of the matter. Since then I've told Linton he must whisper his bitter things. Now, Ellen, you have heard all. I can't be prevented from going to Wuthering Heights except by inflicting misery on two people. Whereas, if you'll only not tell Papa, my going need disturb the tranquillity of none. You'll not tell, will you? It will be very heartless if you do. I'll make up my mind on that point by tomorrow, Miss Catherine, I replied. It requires some study, and so I'll leave you to your rest and go think it over. I thought it over aloud in my master's presence, walking straight from her room to his and relating the whole story, with the exception of her conversations with her cousin and any mention of Hareton. Mr. Linton was alarmed and distressed more than he would acknowledge to me. In the morning, Catherine learned my betrayal of her confidence, and she learned also that her secret visits were to end. In vain she wept and writhed against the interdict, and implored her father to have pity on Linton. All she got to comfort her was a promise that he would write and give him leave to come to the Grange when he pleased, but explaining that he must no longer expect to see Catherine at Wuthering Heights. Perhaps, had he been aware of his nephew's disposition and state of health, he would have seen fit to withhold even that slight consolation. End of chapter 24 Recording by Ruth Golding Recording by Ruth Golding Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 25 These things happened last winter, sir, said Mrs. Dean. Hardly more than a year ago. Last winter I did not think at another twelve months end I should be amusing a stranger to the family with relating them. Yet who knows how long you'll be a stranger? You're too young to rest always contented, living by yourself, and I somewhere fancy no one could see Catherine Linton and not love her. You smile, but why do you look so lively and interested when I talk about her? And why have you asked me to hang a picture over your fireplace? And why— Stop, my good friend, I cried. It may be very possible that I should love her, but would she love me? I doubt it too much to venture my tranquillity by running into temptation, and then my home is not here. I'm of the busy world, and to its arms I must return. Go on. Was Catherine obedient to her father's commands? She was, continued the housekeeper. Her affection for him was still the chief sentiment in her heart, and he spoke without anger. 
He spoke in the deep tenderness of one about to leave his treasure amid perils and foes, where his remembered words would be the only aid that he could bequeath to guide her. He said to me a few days afterwards, I wish my nephew would write, Ellen, or call. Tell me sincerely what you think of him. Is he changed for the better, or is there a prospect of improvement as he grows a man? He's very delicate, sir, I replied, and scarcely likely to reach manhood. But this I can say, he does not resemble his father. And if Miss Catherine had the misfortune to marry him, he would not be beyond her control, unless she were extremely and foolishly indulgent. However, master, you'll have plenty of time to get acquainted with him, and see whether he would suit her. It wants four years and more to his being of age. Edgar sighed, and walking to the window, looked out towards Gimmerton Kirk. It was a misty afternoon, but the February sun shone dimly, and we could just distinguish the two fir trees in the yard and the sparely scattered gravestones. I've prayed often, he half soliloquised. "'for the approach of what is coming. "'And now I begin to shrink and fear it. "'I thought the memory of the hour I came down that glen a bridegroom "'would be less sweet than the anticipation that I was soon, "'in a few months or possibly weeks, "'to be carried up and laid in its lonely hollow. "'Ellen, I've been very happy with my little Cathy.' Through winter nights and summer days she was a living hope at my side. But I've been as happy musing by myself among those stones under that old church, lying through the long June evenings on the green mound of her mother's grave and wishing, yearning for the time when I might lie beneath it. What can I do for Cathy? How must I quit her? I'd not care one moment for Linton being Heathcliff's son, nor for his taking her from me if he could console her for my loss. I'd not care that Heathcliff gained his ends and triumphed in robbing me of my last blessing. But should Linton be unworthy, only a feeble tool to his father, I cannot abandon her to him. And... Hard though it be to crush her buoyant spirit, I must persevere in making her sad while I live, and leaving her solitary when I die. Darling, I'd rather resign her to God and lay her in the earth before me. Resign her to God as it is, sir, I answered, and if we should lose you, which may he forbid, under his providence, I'll stand her friend and counsellor to the last. Miss Catherine is a good girl. I don't fear that she will go willfully wrong, and people who do their duty are always finally rewarded. Spring advanced, yet my master gathered no real strength, though he resumed his walks in the grounds with his daughter. To her inexperienced notions, this itself was a sign of convalescence. And then his cheek was often flushed and his eyes were bright, she felt sure of his recovering. 
On her seventeenth birthday he did not visit the churchyard. It was raining, and I observed, "'You'll surely not go out tonight, sir?' He answered, "'No, I'll defer it this year a little longer.' He wrote again to Linton, expressing his great desire to see him, and had the invalid been presentable, I've no doubt his father would have permitted him to come. As it was, being instructed, he returned an answer, intimating that Mr. Heathcliff objected to his calling at the Grange. But his uncle's kind remembrance delighted him, and he hoped to meet him sometimes in his rambles, and personally to petition that his cousin and he might not remain long so utterly divided. That part of his letter was simple, and probably his own. Heathcliff knew he could plead eloquently for Catherine's company then. "'I do not ask,' he said, "'that she may visit here, but am I never to see her, "'because my father forbids me to go to her home, "'and you forbid her to come to mine? "'Do now and then ride with her towards the heights, "'and let us exchange a few words in your presence. "'We have done nothing to deserve this separation.' "'and you are not angry with me. "'You have no reason to dislike me, you allow yourself. "'Dear uncle, send me a kind note tomorrow, "'and leave to join you anywhere you please "'except at Thrushcross Grange. "'I believe an interview would convince you "'that my father's character is not mine. "'He affirms I am more your nephew than his son.' and though I have faults which render me unworthy of Catherine, she has excused them, and for her sake you should also. You inquire after my health. It is better, but while I remain cut off from all hope and doomed to solitude or the society of those who never did and never will like me, how can I be cheerful and well?' Edgar, though he felt for the boy, could not consent to grant his request, because he could not accompany Catherine. He said in summer perhaps they might meet. Meantime, he wished him to continue writing at intervals, and engaged to give him what advice and comfort he was able by letter, being well aware of his hard position in his family. Linton complied, and had he been unrestrained, would probably have spoiled all by filling his epistles with complaints and lamentations. But his father kept a sharp watch over him, and of course insisted on every line that my master sent being shown. So instead of penning his peculiar personal sufferings and distresses, the themes constantly uppermost in his thoughts, he harped on the cruel obligation of being held asunder from his friend and love, and gently intimated that Mr. Linton must allow an interview soon, or he should fear he was purposely deceiving him with empty promises. Cathy was a powerful ally at home, and between them they at length persuaded my master to acquiesce in their having a ride or a walk together, about once a week, under my guardianship, and on the moors nearest the Grange, 
for June found him still declining. Though he had set aside yearly a portion of his income for my young lady's fortune, he had a natural desire that she might retain, or at least return in a short time, to the house of her ancestors, and he considered her only prospect of doing that was by a union with his heir. He had no idea that the latter was failing almost as fast as himself, nor had any one, I believe. No doctor visited the heights, and no one saw Master Heathcliff to make report of his condition among us. I, for my part, began to fancy my forebodings were false, and that he must be actually rallying when he mentioned riding and walking on the moors, and seemed so earnest in pursuing his object. I could not picture a father treating a dying child as tyrannically and wickedly as I afterwards learned Heathcliff had treated him to compel this apparent eagerness, his efforts redoubling the more imminently his avaricious and unfeeling plans were threatened with defeat by death. End of chapter 25 Recording by Ruth Golding In Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 26 Summer was already past its prime when Edgar reluctantly yielded his assent to their entreaties, and Catherine and I set out on our first ride to join her cousin. It was a close, sultry day, devoid of sunshine, but with a sky too dappled and hazy to threaten rain, and our place of meeting had been fixed at the guide-stone by the crossroads. On arriving there, however, a little herd-boy, dispatched as a messenger, told us that "'Mester Linton were just o this side o' tights, and he'd be much obliged to us to gang on a bit further.' "'Then Master Linton has forgot the first injunction of his uncle,' I observed. "'He bid us keep on the Grangeland, and here we are off at once.' "'Well, we'll turn our horses' heads round when we reach him,' answered my companion. "'Our excursion shall lie towards home.' "'But when we reached him, and that was scarcely a quarter of a mile from his own door, "'we found he had no horse.' and we were forced to dismount and leave ours to graze. He lay on the heath awaiting our approach, and did not rise till we came within a few yards. Then he walked so feebly, and looked so pale, that I immediately exclaimed, "'Why, Master Heathcliff, you are not fit for enjoying a ramble this morning. How ill you do look!' Catherine surveyed him with grief and astonishment. She changed the ejaculation of joy on her lips to one of alarm, and the congratulation on their long-postponed meeting to an anxious inquiry whether he were worse than usual. "'No, better, better,' he panted, trembling, and retaining her hand as if he needed its support— while his large blue eyes wandered timidly over her, the hollowness round them transforming to haggard wildness the languid expression they once possessed. 
But you have been worse, persisted his cousin. Worse than when I saw you last. You are thinner, and I'm tired, he interrupted hurriedly. It's too hot for walking. Let us rest here. And in the morning I often feel sick. Papa says I grow so fast. Badly satisfied, Cathy sat down, and he reclined beside her. This is something like your paradise, said she, making an effort at cheerfulness. You recollect the two days we agreed to spend in the place and way each thought pleasantest? This is nearly yours, only there are clouds. But then they are so soft and mellow. It's nicer than sunshine. Next week, if you can, we'll ride down to the Grange Park and try mine. Linton did not appear to remember what she talked of, and he had evidently great difficulty in sustaining any kind of conversation. His lack of interest in the subject she started, and his equal incapacity to contribute to her entertainment, was so obvious that she could not conceal her disappointment. An indefinite alteration had come over his whole person and manner. The pettishness that might be caressed into fondness had yielded to a listless apathy. There was less of the peevish temper of a child which frets and teases on purpose to be soothed, and more of the self-absorbed moroseness of a confirmed invalid, repelling consolation, and ready to regard the good-humoured mirth of others as an insult. Catherine perceived, as well as I did, that he held it rather a punishment than a gratification to endure our company, and she made no scruple of proposing presently to depart. That proposal unexpectedly roused Linton from his lethargy and threw him into a strange state of agitation. He glanced fearfully towards the heights, begging she would remain another half hour at least. "'But I think,' said Cathy, "'you'd be more comfortable at home than sitting here, "'and I cannot amuse you today, I see, "'by my tales and songs and chatter. "'You have grown wiser than I in these six months. "'You have little taste for my diversions now.' "'or else, if I could amuse you, I'd willingly stay.' "'Stay to rest yourself,' he replied. "'And, Catherine, don't think or say that I'm very unwell. "'It is the heavy weather and heat that make me dull. "'And I walked about before you came a great deal for me. "'Tell Uncle I'm in tolerable health, will you?' "'I'll tell him that you say so, Linton.' "'I couldn't affirm that you are,' observed my young lady, "'wondering at his pertinacious assertion of what was evidently an untruth. "'And be here again next Thursday,' continued he, shunning her puzzled gaze, "'and give him my thanks for permitting you to come. "'My best thanks, Catherine. "'And, and, if you did meet my father, and he asked you about me? Don't lead him to suppose that I've been extremely silent and stupid. 
Don't look sad and downcast as you are doing. He'll be angry. I care nothing for his anger, exclaimed Cathy, imagining she would be its object. But I do, said her cousin, shuddering. D don't provoke him against me, Catherine, for he is very hard. Is he severe to you, Master Heathcliff? I inquired. Has he grown weary of indulgence and passed from passive to active hatred? Linton looked at me, but did not answer. And after keeping her seat by his side another ten minutes, during which his head fell drowsily on his breast, and he uttered nothing except suppressed moans of exhaustion or pain, Cathy began to seek solace in looking for bilberries and sharing the produce of her researches with me. She did not offer them to him, for she saw further notice would only weary and annoy. "'Is it half an hour now, Ellen?' she whispered in my ear at last. "'I can't tell why we should stay. He's asleep and Papa will be wanting us back.' "'Well, we must not leave him asleep,' I answered. "'Wait till he wakes and be patient. You are mighty eager to set off.' but you're longing to see poor Linton as soon evaporated. "'Why did he wish to see me?' returned Catherine. "'In his crossest humours formerly, I liked him better than I do in his present curious mood. It's just as if it were a task he was compelled to perform, this interview, for fear his father should scold him.' "'But I'm hardly going to come to give Mr. Heathcliff pleasure, "'whatever reason he may have for ordering Linton to undergo this penance. "'And though I'm glad he's better in health, "'I'm sorry he's so much less pleasant, "'and so much less affectionate to me.' "'You think he is in better health, then?' I said. "'Yes,' she answered. "'because he always made such a great deal of his sufferings, you know. "'He is not tolerably well, as he told me to tell Papa, "'but he's better, very likely.' "'There you differ with me, Miss Cathy,' I remarked. "'I should conjecture him to be far worse.' "'Linton here started from his slumber in bewildered terror "'and asked if anyone had called his name. "'No!' said Catherine, unless in dreams. I cannot conceive how you manage to doze out of doors in the morning. I thought I heard my father, he gasped, glancing up to the frowning nab above us. You're sure nobody spoke? Quite sure, replied his cousin. Only Ellen and I were disputing concerning your health. Are you truly stronger, Linton, than when we separated in winter? If you be, I'm certain one thing is not stronger, your regard for me. Speak, are you? The tears gushed from Linton's eyes as he answered, Yes, yes, I am. And still under the spell of the imaginary voice, his gaze wandered up and down to detect its owner. Cathy rose. For today we must part she said, and I won't conceal that I have been sadly disappointed with our meeting. 
though I'll mention it to nobody but you. Not that I stand in awe of Mr. Heathcliff. Hush, murmured Linton. For God's sake, hush, he's coming. And he clung to Catherine's arm, striving to detain her. But at that announcement she hastily disengaged herself and whistled to Minnie, who obeyed her like a dog. I'll be here next Thursday, she cried, springing to the saddle. Goodbye. Quick, Ellen. And so we left him, scarcely conscious of our departure, so absorbed was he in anticipating his father's approach. Before we reached home, Catherine's displeasure softened into a perplexed sensation of pity and regret, largely blended with vague, uneasy doubts about Linton's actual circumstances, physical and social, in which I partook, though I counselled her not to say much, for a second journey would make us better judges. My master requested an account of our ongoings. His nephew's offering of thanks was duly delivered, Miss Cathy gently touching on the rest. I also threw little light on his inquiries, for I hardly knew what to hide and what to reveal. End of chapter 26 Recording by Ruth Golding Domain Recording by Ruth Golding Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 27 Seven days glided away, every one marking its course by the henceforth rapid alteration of Edgar Linton's state. The havoc that months had previously wrought was now emulated by the inroads of ours. Catherine we would fain have deluded yet— but her own quick spirit refused to delude her. It divined in secret and brooded on the dreadful probability, gradually ripening into certainty. She had not the heart to mention her ride when Thursday came round. I mentioned it for her, and obtained permission to order her out of doors, for the library, where her father stopped a short time daily, the brief period he could bear to sit up, and his chamber had become her whole world. She grudged each moment that did not find her bending over his pillow or seated by his side. Her countenance grew wan with watching and sorrow, and my master gladly dismissed her to what he flattered himself would be a happy change of scene and society drawing comfort from the hope that she would not now be left entirely alone after his death. He had a fixed idea, I guessed by several observations he let fall, that as his nephew resembled him in person, he would resemble him in mind, for Linton's letters bore few or no indications of his defective character, and I, through pardonable weakness, refrain from correcting the error, asking myself what good there would be in disturbing his last moments with information that he had neither power nor opportunity to turn to account. We deferred our excursion till the afternoon, a golden afternoon of August, 
every breath from the hills so full of life that it seemed whoever respired it, though dying, might revive. Catherine's face was just like the landscape, shadows and sunshine flitting over it in rapid succession. But the shadows rested longer, and the sunshine was more transient, and her poor little heart reproached itself for even that passing forgetfulness of its cares. We discerned Linton watching at the same spot he had selected before. My young mistress alighted and told me that, as she was resolved to stay a very little while, I had better hold the pony and remain on horseback. But I dissented, I wouldn't risk losing sight of the charge committed to me a minute, so we climbed a slope of heath together. Master Heathcliff received us with greater animation on this occasion, not the animation of high spirits, though, nor yet of joy. It looked more like fear. "'It is late,' he said, speaking short and with difficulty. "'Is not your father very ill? I thought you wouldn't come.' "'Why won't you be candid?' cried Catherine, swallowing her greeting. "'Why cannot you say at once you don't want me? "'It is strange, Linton, that for the second time you have brought me here on purpose, "'apparently to distress us both, and for no reason besides.' "'Linton shivered and glanced at her, half supplicating, half ashamed, "'but his cousin's patience was not sufficient to endure this enigmatical behaviour. "'My father is very ill,' she said. "'And why am I called from his bedside? "'Why didn't you send to absolve me from my promise "'when you wished I wouldn't keep it? "'Come, I desire an explanation. "'Playing and trifling are completely banished out of my mind, "'and I can't dance attendance on your affectations now.' "'My affectations,' he murmured. "'What are they? For heaven's sake, Catherine, don't look so angry. "'Despise me as much as you please. I am a worthless, cowardly wretch. "'I can't be scorned enough, but I'm too mean for your anger. "'Hate my father and spare me for contempt.' "'Nonsense!' cried Catherine in a passion. "'Foolish, silly boy!' "'and there he trembles, as if I were really going to touch him. "'You needn't bespeak contempt, Linton. "'Anybody will have it spontaneously at your service. "'Get off. "'I shall return home. "'It is folly dragging you from the hearthstone and pretending. "'What do we pretend? "'Let go my frock. "'If I pitied you for crying and looking so very frightened, "'you should spurn such pity.' "'Ellen, tell him how disgraceful this conduct is. "'Rise, and don't degrade yourself into an abject reptile. "'Don't!' "'With streaming face and an expression of agony, "'Linton had thrown his nerveless frame along the ground. "'He seemed convulsed with exquisite terror. "'Oh!' he sobbed. "'I cannot bear it, Catherine.' "'Catherine, I'm a traitor, too, 
and I dare not tell you. But leave me, and I shall be killed. Dear Catherine, my life is in your hands, and you have said you loved me, and if you did, it wouldn't harm you. You'll not go then, kind, sweet, good Catherine, and perhaps you will consent, and he'll let me die with you. My young lady, on witnessing his intense anguish, stooped to raise him. The old feeling of indulgent tenderness overcame her vexation, and she grew thoroughly moved and alarmed. "'Consent to what?' she asked. "'To stay. Tell me the meaning of this strange talk, and I will.' You contradict your own words and distract me. Be calm and frank, and confess at once all that weighs on your heart. You wouldn't injure me, Linton, would you? You wouldn't let any enemy hurt me if you could prevent it. I'll believe you are a coward for yourself, but not a cowardly betrayer of your best friend. But my father threatened me gasped the boy, clasping his attenuated fingers. And I dread him, I dread him, I dare not tell. Oh, well, said Catherine with scornful compassion, keep your secret. I'm no coward. Save yourself, I'm not afraid. Her magnanimity provoked his tears. He wept wildly kissing her supporting hands, and yet could not summon courage to speak out. I was cogitating what the mystery might be, and determined Catherine should never suffer to benefit him or anyone else by my good will, when, hearing a rustle among the ling, I looked up and saw Mr. Heathcliff almost close upon us, descending the heights. He didn't cast a glance towards my companion's, though they were sufficiently near for Linton's sobs to be audible, but hailing me in the almost hearty tone he assumed to none besides, and the sincerity of which I couldn't avoid doubting, he said, "'It is something to see you so near my house, Nelly. How are you at the Grange? Let us hear. The rumour goes,' he added in a lower tone, "'that Edgar Linton is on his deathbed.' Perhaps they exaggerate his illness? No, my master is dying, I replied. It is true enough. A sad thing it will be for us all, but a blessing for him. How long will he last, do you think? He asked. I don't know, I said. Because? He continued, looking at the two young people who were fixed under his eye. Linton appeared as if he could not venture to stir or raise his head, and Catherine could not move on his account. "'Because that lad yonder seems determined to beat me, and I'd thank his uncle to be quick and go before him.' "'Hello, has the whelp been playing that game long? I did give him some lessons about snivelling. Is he pretty lively with Miss Linton generally?' "'Lively?' "'No, he has shown the greatest distress,' I answered.
To see him, I should say that instead of rambling with his sweetheart on the hills, he ought to be in bed under the hands of a doctor. He shall be in a day or two, muttered Heathcliff. But first, get up, Linton, get up, he shouted. Don't grovel on the ground there. Up this moment. Linton had sunk prostrate again in another paroxysm of helpless fear, caused by his father's glance towards him, I suppose. There was nothing else to produce such humiliation. He made several efforts to obey, but his little strength was annihilated for the time, and he fell back again with a moan. Mr. Heathcliff advanced and lifted him to lean against a ridge of turf. "'Now!' said he, with curbed ferocity. "'I'm getting angry. "'And if you don't command that paltry spirit of yours, "'damn you! Get up directly!' "'I will, father,' he panted. "'Only let me alone, or I shall faint. "'I've done as you wished, I'm sure.' "'Catherine will tell you that I... that I have been cheerful. "'Ah, keep by me, Catherine, give me your hand.' "'Take mine,' said his father. "'Stand on your feet. "'There now, she'll lend you her arm. "'That's right, look at her. "'You would imagine I was the devil himself, Miss Linton, "'to excite such horror.' "'Be so kind as to walk home with him, will you? "'He shudders if I touch him.' "'Linton, dear,' whispered Catherine, "'I can't go to Wuthering Heights. "'Papa has forbidden me. "'He'll not harm you. "'Why are you so afraid?' "'I can never re-enter that house,' he answered. "'I'm not to re-enter it without you.' "'Stop!' cried his father. "'We'll respect Catherine's filial scruples. "'Nelly, take him in, and I'll follow your advice "'concerning the doctor without delay.' "'You'll do well,' replied I. "'But I must remain with my mistress. "'To mind your son is not my business.' "'You are very stiff,' said Heathcliff. "'I know that.' "'but he'll force me to pinch the baby "'and make it scream before it moves your charity. "'Come then, my hero. "'Are you willing to return, escorted by me?' "'He approached once more "'and made as if he would seize the fragile being. "'But shrinking back, Linton clung to his cousin "'and implored her to accompany him "'with a frantic importunity that admitted no denial.' However I disapproved, I couldn't hinder her. Indeed, how could she have refused him herself? What was filling him with dread we had no means of discerning, but there he was, powerless under its grip, and any addition seemed capable of shocking him into idiocy. We reached the threshold, Catherine walked in, and I stood waiting till she had conducted the invalid to a chair, "'expecting her out immediately, "'when Mr. Heathcliff, pushing me forward, exclaimed, "'My house is not stricken with the plague, Nelly, "'and I have a mind to be hospitable today. "'Sit down and allow me to shut the door.' 
He shut and locked it also. I started. You shall have tea before you go home, he added. I am by myself. Ayrton is gone with some cattle to the Lees, and Zilla and Joseph are off on a journey of pleasure. And though I'm used to being alone, I'd rather have some interesting company if I can get it. Miss Linton, take your seat by him. I give you what I have. The present is hardly worth accepting, but I have nothing else to offer. It is Linton, I mean. How she does stare. It's odd what a savage feeling I have to anything that seems afraid of me. Had I been born where laws are less strict and tastes less dainty, I should treat myself to a slow vivisection of those two as an evening's amusement. He drew in his breath, struck the table, and swore to himself, By hell, I hate them. I am not afraid of you, exclaimed Catherine, who could not hear the latter part of his speech. She stepped close up, her black eyes flashing with passion and resolution. Give me that key, I will have it, she said. I wouldn't eat or drink here if I were starving. Heathcliff had the key in his hand that remained on the table. He looked up, seized with a sort of surprise at her boldness, or possibly reminded by her voice and glance of the person from whom she inherited it. She snatched at the instrument and half succeeded in getting it out of his loosened fingers, but her action recalled him to the present. He recovered it speedily. "'Now, Catherine Linton,' he said, "'stand off, or I shall knock you down, "'and that will make Mrs. Dean mad.' Regardless of this warning, she captured his closed hand and its contents again. "'We will go!' she repeated, exerting her utmost efforts to cause the iron muscles to relax and finding that her nails made no impression, she applied her teeth pretty sharply. Heathcliff glanced at me a glance that kept me from interfering a moment. Catherine was too intent on his fingers to notice his face. He opened them suddenly, and resigned the object of dispute, but ere she had well secured it, he seized her with the liberated hand, and pulling her on his knee, administered with the other a shower of terrific slaps on both sides of the head, each sufficient to have fulfilled his threat had she been able to fall. At this diabolical violence I rushed on him furiously. "'You villain!' I began to cry. "'You villain!' A touch on the chest silenced me. I am stout and soon put out of breath." and what with that and the rage I staggered dizzily back, and felt ready to suffocate or to burst a blood vessel. The scene was over in two minutes. Catherine, released, put her two hands to her temples, and looked just as if she were not sure whether her ears were off or on. She trembled like a reed, poor thing, and leant against the table perfectly bewildered. "'I know how to chastise children, you see,' said the scoundrel grimly, as he stooped to repossess himself of the key, which had dropped to the floor. 
Go to Linton now, as I told you, and cry at your ease. I shall be your father tomorrow, all the father you'll have in a few days, and you shall have plenty of that. You can bear plenty, you're no weakling. You shall have a daily taste if I catch such a devil of a temper in your eyes again. Cathy ran to me instead of Linton and knelt down and put her burning cheek on my lap, weeping aloud. Her cousin had shrunk into a corner of the settle as quiet as a mouse, congratulating himself, I dare say, that the correction had alighted on another than him. Mr. Heathcliff, perceiving us all confounded, rose and expeditiously made the tea himself. The cups and saucers were laid ready. He poured it out and handed me a cup. "'Wash away your spleen,' he said, "'and help your own naughty pet and mine. It is not poisoned, though I prepared it. I'm going out to seek your horses.' Our first thought on his departure was to force an exit somewhere. We tried the kitchen door, but that was fastened outside. We looked at the windows. They were too narrow for even Cathy's little figure. "'Master Linton,' I cried, seeing we were regularly imprisoned. "'You know what your diabolical father is after.' "'and you shall tell us, or I'll box your ears as he has done your cousin's.' "'Yes, Linton, you must tell,' said Catherine. "'It was for your sake I came, and it will be wickedly ungrateful if you refuse.' "'Give me some tea. I'm thirsty, and then I'll tell you,' he answered. "'Mrs. Dean, go away. I don't like you standing over me.' "'Now, Catherine, you are letting your tears fall into my cup. "'I won't drink that. Give me another.' "'Catherine pushed another to him and wiped her face. "'I felt disgusted at the little wretch's composure, "'since he was no longer in terror for himself. "'The anguish he had exhibited on the moor subsided "'as soon as ever he entered Wuthering Heights.' so I guessed he had been menaced with an awful visitation of wrath if he failed in decoying us there, and that accomplished, he had no further immediate fears. "'Papa wants us to be married,' he continued, after sipping some of the liquid. "'And he knows your papa wouldn't let us marry now, and he's afraid of my dying if we wait.' "'So we are to be married in the morning, and you are to stay here all night, "'and if you do as he wishes, you shall return home next day and take me with you.' "'Take you with her, pitiful changeling!' I exclaimed. "'You marry? Why, the man is mad, or he thinks us fools every one!' "'And do you imagine that beautiful young lady, that healthy, hearty girl, "'will tie herself to a little perishing monkey like you? "'Are you cherishing the notion that anybody, let alone Miss Catherine Linton, "'would have you for a husband? "'You want whipping for bringing us in here at all, with your dastardly puling tricks. "'And don't look so silly now.' "'I've a very good mind to shake you severely for your contemptible treachery, 
and your imbecile conceit. I did give him a slight shaking, but it brought on the cough, and he took to his ordinary resource of moaning and weeping, and Catherine rebuked me. Stay all night? No, she said, looking slowly round. Ellen, I'll burn that door down, but I'll get out. And she would have commenced the execution of her threat directly, but Linton was up in alarm for his dear self again. He clasped her in his two feeble arms, sobbing, Won't you have me and save me? Not let me come to the Grange. Oh, darling Catherine, you mustn't go and leave after all. You must obey my father, you must. I must obey my own, she replied, and relieve him from this cruel suspense. The whole night, what would he think? He'll be distressed already. I'll either break or burn away out of the house. Be quiet, you're in no danger, but if you hinder me, Linton, I love Papa better than you. The mortal terror he felt of Mr. Heathcliff's anger restored to the boy his coward's eloquence. Catherine was near distraught. Still, she persisted that she must go home, and tried entreaty in her turn, persuading him to subdue his selfish agony. While they were thus occupied, our jailer re-entered. "'Your beasts have trotted off,' he said. "'And now, Linton, snivelling again, what has she been doing to you? "'Come, come, have done and get to bed. "'In a month or two, my lad, you'll be able to peer back her present tyrannies with a vigorous hand.' "'You're pining for pure love, are you not? "'Nothing else in the world. "'And she shall have you. "'There, to bed. "'Zilla won't be here tonight. "'You must undress yourself. "'Hush, hold your noise. "'Once in your own room, I'll not come near you. "'You needn't fear. "'By chance you've managed tolerably. "'I'll look to the rest.' He spoke these words, holding the door open for his son to pass, and the latter achieved his exit, exactly as a spaniel might, which suspected the person who attended on it of designing a spiteful squeeze. The lock was re-secured. Heathcliff approached the fire where my mistress and I stood silent. Catherine looked up and instinctively raised her hand to her cheek, his neighbourhood revived a painful sensation. Anybody else would have been incapable of regarding the childish act with sternness, but he scowled on her and muttered, "'Oh, you are not afraid of me. Your courage is well disguised. You seem damnably afraid.' "'I am afraid now,' she replied, "'because if I stay, Papa will be miserable.' And how can I endure making him miserable when he, when he, Mr. Heathcliff, let me go home. I promised to marry Linton. Papa would like me to, and I love him. Why should you wish to force me to do what I'll willingly do of myself? 
Let him dare to force you, I cried. There's law in the land, thank God there is, though we be in an out-of-the-way place. I'd inform if he were my own son, and it's felony without benefit of clergy. Silence, said the ruffian. To the devil with your clamour. I don't want you to speak. Miss Linton, I shall enjoy myself remarkably in thinking your father will be miserable. I shall not sleep for satisfaction. You could have hit on no surer way of fixing your residence under my roof for the next twenty-four hours than informing me that such an event would follow. As to your promise to marry Linton, I'll take care you shall keep it, for you shall not quit this place till it is fulfilled. Send Ellen, then, to let Papa know I'm safe exclaimed Catherine, weeping bitterly. Oh, marry me now! Poor papa! Ellen, he'll think we're lost! What shall we do? Not he. He'll think you are tired of waiting on him and run off for a little amusement, answered Heathcliff. You cannot deny that you entered my house of your own accord, in contempt of his injunctions to the contrary. And it is quite natural that you should desire amusement at your age, and that you would weary of nursing a sick man, and that man only your father. Catherine, his happiest days were over when your days began. He cursed you, I dare say, for coming into the world. I did at least. And it would just do if he cursed you as he went out of it. I'd join him. I don't love you. How should I? Weep away. As far as I can see, it will be your chief diversion hereafter, unless Linton make amends for other losses and your provident parent appears to fancy he may. His letters of advice and consolation entertained me vastly. In his last he recommended my jewel to be careful of his, and kind to her when he got her. Careful and kind, that's paternal. But Linton requires his whole stock of care and kindness for himself. Linton can play the little tyrant well. He'll undertake to torture any number of cats, if their teeth be drawn and their claws pared. You'll be able to tell his uncle fine tales of his kindness when you get home again, I assure you. You're right there, I said. Explain your son's character, show his resemblance to yourself, and then I hope Miss Cathy will think twice before she takes the cockatrice. I don't much mind speaking of his amiable qualities now, he answered, because she must either accept him or remain a prisoner, and you along with her till your master dies. I can detain you both quite concealed here. If you doubt, encourage her to retract her word, and you'll have an opportunity of judging. I'll not retract my word, said Catherine. 
I'll marry him within this hour, if I may go to Thrushcross Grange afterwards. Mr. Heathcliff, you are a cruel man, but you're not a fiend, and you won't, from mere malice, destroy irrevocably all my happiness. If Papa thought I had left him on purpose, and if he died before I returned, could I bear to live? I've given over crying, but I'm going to kneel here at your knee, and I'll not get up and I'll not take my eyes from your face till you look back at me. No, don't turn away. Do look. You'll see nothing to provoke you. I don't hate you. I'm not angry that you struck me. Have you never loved anybody in all your life, uncle? Never? Ah, oh, you must look once. I'm so wretched, you can't help being sorry and pitying me. Keep your effed fingers off and move or I'll kick you, cried Heathcliff, brutally repulsing her. I'd rather be hugged by a snake. How the devil can you dream of fawning on me? I detest you. He shrugged his shoulders, shook himself indeed as if his flesh crept with aversion, and thrust back his chair, while I got up and opened my mouth to commence a downright torrent of abuse. But I was rendered dumb in the middle of the first sentence by a threat that I should be shown into a room by myself the very next syllable I uttered. It was growing dark. We heard a sound of voices at the garden gate. Our host hurried out instantly. He had his wits about him. We had not. There was a talk of two or three minutes, and he returned alone. "'I thought it had been your cousin Hareton,' I observed to Catherine. "'I wish he would arrive. Who knows, but he might take our part.' "'It was three servants sent to seek you from the Grange,' said Heathcliff, overhearing me. "'You should have opened a lattice and called out, but I could swear that chit is glad you didn't. She is glad to be obliged to stay, I'm certain.' At learning the chance we had missed, we both gave vent to our grief without control, and he allowed us to wail on till nine o'clock.' Then he bid us go upstairs through the kitchen to Zilla's chamber, and I whispered my companion to obey. Perhaps we might contrive to get through the window there, or into a garret, or out by its skylight. The window, however, was narrow like those below, and the garret trap was safe from our attempts, for we were fastened in as before. We neither of us lay down, Catherine took her station by the lattice and watched anxiously for morning, a deep sigh being the only answer I could obtain to my frequent entreaties that she would try to rest. I seated myself in a chair and rocked to and fro, passing harsh judgment on my many derelictions of duty, from which it struck me then all the misfortunes of my employers sprang. It was not the case in reality, I am aware, but it was in my imagination that dismal night, and I thought Heathcliff himself less guilty than I. At seven o'clock he came and inquired if Miss Linton had risen. 
she ran to the door immediately and answered, "'Yes!' "'Here, then,' he said, opening it and pulling her out. I rose to follow, but he turned the lock again. I demanded my release. "'Be patient,' he replied. "'I'll send up your breakfast in a while.' I thumped on the panels and rattled the latch angrily, and Catherine asked why I was still shut up. He answered I must try to endure it another hour, and they went away. I endured it two or three hours. At length I heard a footstep, not Heathcliff's. "'I brought you something to eat,' said a voice. "'Open door!' Complying eagerly, I beheld Hareton, laden with food enough to last me all day. "'Tack it!' he added, thrusting the tray into my hand. "'Stay one minute,' I began. "'Nay!' cried he, and retired, regardless of any prayers I could pour forth to detain him. And there I remained enclosed the whole day, and the whole of the next night, and another, and another. Five nights and four days I remained altogether, seeing nobody but Hareton once every morning, and he was a model of a jailer, surly and dumb and deaf to every attempt at moving his sense of justice or compassion. End of chapter 27 Recording by Ruth Golding Main. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 28 On the fifth morning, or rather afternoon, a different step approached, lighter and shorter, and this time the person entered the room. It was Zilla, donned in her scarlet shawl with a black silk bonnet on her head and a willow basket swung to her arm. "'Eh, dear Mrs. Dean!' she exclaimed. "'Well, there is a talk about you at Gimmerton. "'I never thought but you were sunk in the Black Horse Marsh "'and Missy with you, "'till Master told me you'd been found "'and he'd lodged you here. "'What, and you must have got on an island, sure, "'and how long were you in the hole? "'Did Master save you, Mrs. Dean? "'But you're not so thin. "'You've not been so poorly, have you?' "'Your master is a true scoundrel,' I replied. "'But he shall answer for it. "'He needn't have raised that tale. "'It shall all be laid bare.' "'What do you mean?' asked Zilla. "'It's not his tale. "'They tell that in the village, "'about your being lost in the marsh, "'and I calls to Earnshaw when I come in. "'Hey, there's queer things, Mr. Hareton, happened since I went off.' "'It's a sad pity of that likely young lass and can't Nelly Dean. "'He stared. I thought he had not heard out, so I told him the rumour. "'The master listened, and he just smiled to himself and said, "'If they have been in the marsh, they are out now, Zilla. "'Nelly Dean is lodged at this minute in your room. "'You can tell her to flit when you go up. Here is the key. "'The bog water got into her head, and she would have run home quite flighty.' "'but I fixed her till she came round to her senses. "'You can bid her go to the Grange at once, if she be able, "'and carry a message from me "'that her young lady will follow in time to attend the squire's funeral.' 
Mr. Edgar is not dead, I gasped. Oh, Zilla, Zilla! No, no, sit you down, my good mistress, she replied. You're right sickly yet. He's not dead. Dr. Kenneth thinks he may last another day. I met him on the road and asked. Instead of sitting down, I snatched my outdoor things and hastened below, for the way was free. On entering the house, I looked about for someone to give information of Catherine. The place was filled with sunshine and the door stood wide open, but nobody seemed at hand. As I hesitated whether to go off at once or return and seek my mistress, a slight cough drew my attention to the hearth. Linton lay on the settle, sole tenant, sucking a stick of sugar candy and pursuing my movements with apathetic eyes. "'Where is Miss Catherine?' I demanded sternly, supposing I could frighten him into giving intelligence by catching him thus alone. He sucked on like an innocent. "'Is she gone?' I said. "'No,' he replied. "'She's upstairs. She's not to go. We won't let her.' "'You won't let her, little idiot!' I exclaimed. "'Direct me to her room immediately, or I'll make you sing out sharply.' "'Papa would make you sing out if you attempted to get there,' he answered. "'He says I'm not to be soft with Catherine. "'She's my wife, and it's shameful that she should wish to leave me. "'He says she hates me and wants me to die.' that she may have my money, but she shan't have it, and she shan't go home. She never shall. She may cry and be sick as much as she pleases. He resumed his former occupation, closing his lids, as if he meant to drop asleep. Master Heathcliff, I resumed, have you forgotten all Catherine's kindness to you last winter? when you affirmed you loved her, and when she brought you books and sung you songs and came many a time through wind and snow to see you. She wept to miss one evening because you would be disappointed, and you felt then that she was a hundred times too good to you. And now you believe the lies your father tells, though you know he detests you both. "'and you join him against her. "'That's fine gratitude, is it not?' "'The corner of Linton's mouth fell, "'and he took the sugar candy from his lips. "'Did she come to Wuthering Heights because she hated you?' "'I continued. "'Think for yourself. "'As to your money, she does not even know that you will have any. "'And you say she's sick.' "'and yet you leave her alone up there in a strange house? "'You, who have felt what it is to be so neglected. "'You could pity your own sufferings, and she pitied them too, "'but you won't pity hers. "'I shed tears, Master Heathcliff, you see. "'An elderly woman and a servant merely. "'And you, after pretending such affection,' and having reason to worship her almost, store every tear you have for yourself, and lie there quite at ease. Ah, you're a heartless, selfish boy. 
I can't stay with her, he answered crossly. I'll not stay by myself. She cries so I can't bear it. And she won't give over, though I say I'll call my father. I did call him once, and he threatened to strangle her if she was not quiet. But she began again the instant he left the room, moaning and grieving all night long, though I screamed for vexation that I couldn't sleep. Is Mr. Heathcliff out? I inquired, perceiving that the wretched creature had no power to sympathise with his cousin's mental tortures. He's in the court, he replied, talking to Dr. Kenneth, who says uncle is dying truly at last. I'm glad, for I shall be master of the Grange after him. Catherine always spoke of it as her house. It isn't hers, it's mine. Papa says everything she has is mine. All her nice books are mine. She offered to give me them and her pretty birds and her pony Minnie if I would get the key of our room and let her out. But I told her she had nothing to give. They were all, all mine. And then she cried and took a little picture from her neck and said I should have that. Two pictures in a gold case, on one side her mother and on the other uncle when they were young. That was yesterday. I said they were mine too and tried to get them from her. The spiteful thing wouldn't let me. She pushed me off and hurt me. I shrieked out, that frightens her. She heard Papa coming, and she broke the hinges, and divided the case, and gave me her mother's portrait. The other she attempted to hide, but Papa asked what was the matter, and I explained it. He took the one I had away, and ordered her to resign hers to me. She refused and he, he struck her down and wrenched it off the chain and crushed it with his foot. And were you pleased to see her struck? I asked, having my designs in encouraging his talk. I winked, he answered. I winked to see my father strike a dog or a horse. He does it so hard. Yet I was glad at first. She deserved punishing for pushing me. But when Papa was gone, she made me come to the window and showed me her cheek cut on the inside against her teeth and her mouth filling with blood. And then she gathered up the bits of the picture and went and sat down with her face to the wall. And she has never spoken to me since, and I sometimes think she can't speak for pain. I don't like to think so, but she's a naughty thing for crying continually. And she looks so pale and wild, I'm afraid of her. And you can get the key if you choose, I said. Yes, when I am upstairs, he answered. But I can't walk upstairs now. In what apartment is it? I asked. Oh! He cried, 
I shan't tell you where it is. It is our secret. Nobody, neither Hareton nor Zilla, is to know. There, you've tired me. Go away, go away. And he turned his face onto his arm and shut his eyes again. I considered it best to depart without seeing Mr. Heathcliff and bring a rescue for my young lady from the Grange. On reaching it, the astonishment of my fellow servants to see me, and their joy also, was intense. And when they heard that their little mistress was safe, two or three were about to hurry up and shout the news at Mr. Edgar's door, but I bespoke the announcement of it myself. How changed I found him even in those few days! He lay an image of sadness and resignation awaiting his death. Very young he looked, though his actual age was thirty-nine, one would have called him ten years younger at least. He thought of Catherine, for he murmured her name. I touched his hand and spoke. Catherine is coming, dear master, I whispered. She is alive and well, and will be here, I hope, tonight. I trembled at the first effects of this intelligence. He half rose up, looked eagerly round the apartment, and then sank back in a swoon. As soon as he recovered, I related our compulsory visit and detention at the Heights. I said Heathcliff forced me to go in, which was not quite true. I uttered as little as possible against Linton. Nor did I describe all his father's brutal conduct, my intentions being to add no bitterness, if I could help it, to his already overflowing cup. He divined that one of his enemy's purposes was to secure the personal property as well as the estate to his son, or rather himself. Yet why he did not wait till his decease was a puzzle to my master, because ignorant how nearly he and his nephew would quit the world together. However, he felt that his will had better be altered. Instead of leaving Catherine's fortune at her own disposal, he determined to put it in the hands of trustees for her use during life, and for her children, if she had any, after her. By that means it could not fall to Mr. Heathcliff should Linton die. Having received his orders, I dispatched a man to fetch the attorney, and four more, provided with serviceable weapons, to demand my young lady of her jailer. Both parties were delayed very late. The single servant returned first. He said Mr. Green, the lawyer, was out when he arrived at his house, and he had to wait two hours for his re-entrance and then Mr. Green told him he had a little business in the village that must be done, but he would be at Thrushcross Grange before morning. The four men came back unaccompanied. They brought word that Catherine was ill, too ill to quit her room, and Heathcliff would not suffer them to see her. I scolded the stupid fellows well for listening to that tale, which I would not carry to my master resolving to take a whole bevy up to the heights at daylight, and storm it literally, 
unless the prisoner were quietly surrendered to us. Her father shall see her, I vowed, and vowed again, if that devil be killed on his own door-stones in trying to prevent it. Happily I was spared the journey and the trouble. I had gone downstairs at three o'clock to fetch a jug of water, and was passing through the hall with it in my hand, when a sharp knock at the front door made me jump. "'Oh, it is green,' I said, recollecting myself. "'Only green.' And I went on, intending to send somebody else to open it, but the knock was repeated, not loud, and still importunately. I put the jug on the banister and hastened to admit him myself. The harvest moon shone clear outside. It was not the attorney. My own sweet little mistress sprang on my neck, sobbing, Ellen, Ellen, is papa alive? Yes, I cried. Yes, my angel he is. God be thanked you are safe with us again. She wanted to run, breathless as she was, upstairs to Mr. Linton's room, but I compelled her to sit down on a chair and made her drink and washed her pale face, chafing it into a faint colour with my apron. Then I said I must go first and tell of her arrival, imploring her to say she should be happy with young Heathcliff. She stared, but soon comprehending why I counselled her to utter the falsehood, she assured me she would not complain. I couldn't abide to be present at their meeting. I stood outside the chamber door a quarter of an hour, and hardly ventured near the bed then. All was composed, however. Catherine's despair was as silent as her father's joy. She supported him calmly in appearance, and he fixed on her features his raised eyes that seemed dilating with ecstasy. He died blissfully, Mr. Lockwood. He died so. Kissing her cheek, he murmured, I'm going to her, and you, darling child, shall come to us. And never stirred or spoke again, but continued that rapt, radiant gaze till his pulse imperceptibly stopped and his soul departed. None could have noticed the exact minute of his death. It was so entirely without a struggle. Whether Catherine had spent her tears, or whether the grief were too weighty to let them flow, she sat there dry-eyed till the sun rose. She sat till noon, and would still have remained brooding over that deathbed, but I insisted on her coming away and taking some repose. It was well I succeeded in removing her, for at dinner-time appeared the lawyer, having called at Wuthering Heights to get his instructions how to behave. He had sold himself to Mr. Heathcliff. That was the cause of his delay in obeying my master's summons. Fortunately, no thought of worldly affairs crossed the latter's mind to disturb him after his daughter's arrival. 
Mr. Green took upon himself to order everything and everybody about the place. He gave all the servants but me notice to quit. He would have carried his delegated authority to the point of insisting that Edgar Linton should not be buried beside his wife, but in the chapel with his family. There was the will, however, to hinder that, and my loud protestations against any infringement of its directions. The funeral was hurried over. Catherine, Mrs. Linton Heathcliff now, was suffered to stay at the Grange till her father's corpse had quitted it. She told me that her anguish had at last spurred Linton to incur the risk of liberating her. She heard the men I sent disputing at the door, and she gathered the sense of Heathcliff's answer. It drove her desperate. Linton, who had been conveyed up to the little parlour soon after I left, was terrified into fetching the key before his father reascended. He had the cunning to unlock and relock the door without shutting it, and when he should have gone to bed, he begged to sleep with Hareton, and his petition was granted for once. Catherine stole out before break of day. She dared not try the doors, lest the dog should raise an alarm. She visited the empty chambers and examined their windows, and luckily, lighting on her mother's, she got easily out of its lattice and onto the ground by means of the fir-tree close by. Her accomplice suffered for his share in the escape, notwithstanding his timid contrivances. End of chapter 28 Recording by Ruth Golding